Hello, boys and ghouls. Cat here. It's the third episode of our Behind the Scream series where we're exploring the world of fear, shock, and horror by talking to tastemakers in the genre. I'm so excited to bring you this interview with writer Ian Shore. Ian writes screenplays, he writes for television, and we sat down and talked a lot about his journey to becoming a professional writer, what he loves about horror, and there may be an absolutely delightful anecdote about Bill Paxton in there. So, kick back, relax, and enjoy. Enjoy this super fun discussion with Ian Shore. And and it's sure. Uh, yeah, sure. Sure, 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 sure it is. Sure. Yeah. sure. <laughs> okay. So how you doing? I'm I'm fantastic. Doing uh, good. Yeah, I, I uh, I'm, I'm I'm super stoked to be doing this podcast with you. I, I love talking about horror movies. I love talking about writing and and uh, yeah. This is uh this is this definitely getting me in the mood for Halloween. Good because I've done my research on you, so I hope you're ready to talk. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Good. So guys, I'm here with Ian Shore. Um, I, I, I was, I just, first of all, let me start off by saying Ian is, uh, one of the main reasons I'm interviewing you is you are the writer, co-writer of a really fun horror movie called Splinter. And in fact, when I told, I have a coworker who's a big fan of horror and I told her, I was like, Hey, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to interview this guy. He, he did this, he, uh, he wrote this horror movie, Splinter. She goes, is that that movie that I saw on sci-fi? And I was like, actually it is. She goes, oh my God. She goes, I love that movie. And I set it up on my queue, like on Amazon or something. She was like, I was just about to watch it again. Are you serious? And I was like, yeah. So She's, she's watching the version on sci-fi. That's that's impressive. Oh, so is it different on sci-fi? Uh, well, I've, I've only seen it on sci-fi once, and they, uh, they edited it for TV, which means it's about, I don't know, six minutes long. Uh, but uh, well, (laughs) I watched it on Shudder, which I've talked about on Boys and Ghouls before. Um, as like, if you're not on Shudder, who are you? Are you are you on Shudder? Are you? I'm the person. I'm person who's about to be on Shudder. You need to be. So Shudder is a subscription, uh, specifically horror subscription, um, streaming service. Right. Yeah. It's like Netflix for horror. Absolutely. And they have really great collections, um, of all kinds of stuff. A lot of gems. A lot of. Um, you know, when I, we were, Marshall and I, my, my podcast co-hosts were recently doing, um, animal attack kind of stuff. And I ran across this movie, Grizzly, from, it's a, it's a 70, it basically, it's, it came out in 76 and it was a total Jaws ripoff. Right, right, yeah. And it's, it's Jaws, it's just a bear yeah. in the woods. I, I remember seeing the VHS cover of this back, way back in the it's day. It's a giant, but it's a Canadian yeah. horror movie, I think. Yeah. yeah it's kind of crazy. <laughs> um, so, uh, we're going to get to talking about your movie. All right. Um, but I'm going to pick your brain about a couple of other things first. Um, I've got my own kind of like horror version of the uh, the Inside the Actor Studio, but I guess I suppose that's really the, the Proust questionnaire. It seems like the currency of horror fans is like 
is is uh, favorites, um, preferences. Okay. I feel like that people feel like they learn the most about you by like knowing what your favorite things are. All right. So this might be tough, but uh, what scared you as a child, and what was your first introduction to horror? Let's take it back to the basics. What gave you nightmares as a kid? Uh, snakes. Uh, I I spent the first ten years of my life in Arizona, uh, way out in the desert. And every time I would leave the house, my mom would be like, watch out for snakes. And I almost never ran into them, but I built them up in my head as being this terrifying force that could, like, sneak into my bedroom at night. And, you know, if I put my hand under the pillow, there'd be one waiting for me in there. Oh, God. So, like, I, I, would, have, uh, I would have terrible night terrors about snakes. So that was, that was kind of like the, that was the, the first real fear that I had. And in terms of my, my introduction to horror, um, I, I remember... My favorite thing to do on, on Fridays when I was growing up was my parents would go on a date, my babysitter would take me to the video store, and I loved like walking around the horror aisle and seeing all that amazing cover art on the VHSs and being like, yes. ooh, when I become an adult, I'm going to watch all these movies. <laughs> uh, but uh, the, the, the first real introduction to horror that I had, you know, I, I think you know, beyond the, the sort of PG stuff like Ghostbusters and Beetlejuice... Um, the first, I think, legit horror movie I saw was Alien. Wow. And, you know, with, with that one, I was already scared of snakes, and the alien is kind of a gigantic snake. <laughs> That's dripping, like, acid yeah, spit. Yeah, that, that uh, you know, it sheds its skin. It has that, that sort of weird-shaped head that seems to be mostly made out of teeth. Yeah, so... So it, creature stuff, which yeah. is interesting. So I guess you're working out some demons with some of the stuff that oh, you... Oh, com- completely, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and in fact, with, uh, with, with Splinter... Uh, the first draft of that script had a completely different monster that was basically just a bunch of snaky tentacles. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, obviously I was working on some shit there. This isn't snakes, um, but are you watching the new Exorcist TV show? Uh, no, I've, I've actually heard that's really good. Is it's that fucking fantastic, yeah. first of all. Um, but there is, a, when you said you, you thought, you know, as a kid, you, you just knew you were going to find a snake under your pillow... Um, there is a moment on that show in one of the first couple episodes where there's a there's they're they're like millipedes or something they're giant like insecty things but they're under like they pull a pillow away and they're just writhing oh and God. nightmares for days uh, sweet. days and days all right I'm checking that out yeah yeah it's definitely it's great um, all right what scares you now still creatures snakes uh, I I'll still definitely get the the occasional uh, snake nightmare, and uh, my my wife tells me that I've also branched out into spiders. Uh, so like I'll, I'll are you screaming about it in your sleep? Yeah, I'll I'll have like like uh, just freaky ass night terrors where I I, I you know will wake up mid shriek, um, and it's weird because you know this is not stuff that I I think about a lot on a day to day basis. Like it's it's not like. You know, I'm uh, I'm thinking about this stuff. You know, from the moment I wake up, but I guess it's still lurking there somewhere. Mm-hmm. You're not an anxious person in everyday life. Generally, no. Um, but it, when you, when you ask me what kind of stuff scares me now, um, weirdly enough, uh, I've discovered that um, isolation and the sense that I'm being watched has 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 got has gotten freakier to me over the years. Like. Uh, you know, I've I've got I I live with a couple people in my house, and occasionally when they're both out of town, it'll occur to me when I'm alone in the house at night that there's so, so many windows, and there are you know there could be any number of eyes looking in them. Oh uh, my God, that's terrifying. Yeah, so like yeah, 
that that stuff to me has uh, has definitely sort of uh, supplanted the the creatures I used to be afraid of when I was a kid. Sure, I I feel the same. I've kind of reached a place where people scare me more than anything else. Like what real people can do. I recently did an experience uh, a, a virtual. Do you know Blackout, the haunted house? Yeah, yeah. I've got a friend that's I that's part of that. Yeah. Didn't do it. Uh, I don't think I ever could. But I did their virtual um, Blackout. It's called Blackout Twenty One, and you pay like three dollars, and then they basically. They send, well, I don't want to be too specific uh, in case anyone wants to do it. I've talked about it on Boys and Ghouls, but they um, they kind of harass you. They send you, you get phone calls uh, with really awful audio, really, really terrifying stuff, emails. Um, and there's the implication, not the implication, the explicit knowledge at the outset. They say you will be receiving a visit in person at some point in the next 48 hours. And so you're looking over your shoulder in your everyday life. And you're like, you're like, what is that car? Why is that car there? Why is what, Why are they sitting there with their flashes on? Are they watching me? You're looking out the window. Um, not a good experience for you, I don't think. Well, <laughs> no, that would be, uh, yeah, that, that would feed into the exact thing that I'm terrified of right now. Although I do think it's hilarious that... You know, you're you're a woman who works in on the internet uh, in a geeky genre area, and you actually paid money to have somebody harass you <laughs> online over the like phone. I like I need that, right? Like 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 I'm pretty sure you can get that for free. I like, know it's true. It's true. So maybe there's something about the structure of like professionals doing it that makes right, me feel that, comforted yeah, that, that somehow. Yeah, gives you a sense of control. I mean, yeah, Absolutely. part of the whole reason we go to horror movies in the first place. It's true. Um, what is your I don't know. I apologize. This is the hardest question ever. Do you have yeah. a favorite horror movie of all time? Favorite doesn't horror have movie. to be the best one. Just your favorite. My favorite. Um, I I can break this down in, into a, into a couple of categories. Um, my uh, my favorite horror comedy is Dead Alive. Mm-hmm. Just because I I like the first time I That's saw a Peter that. Peter Jackson. I, yeah. yeah. Like, I love that New Line saw that movie and they're like, "All right, let's give that man three hundred million dollars to go make Lord of the Rings." <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's, that's my favorite horror comedy. My my favorite just like just mind fuck disturbing horror movie is probably Jacob's Ladder. Okay. Um, my favorite like just all out like just assault on the senses type of thing is probably Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh yeah. Um, like th- that's that's one that I can't watch very often. Like it's it, and it's a little bit like getting a tattoo. And when, when you're in the middle of all this, you're like, oh god, why am I doing this? And, and then, then later uh, on, you're like, I kind of want to do that again. Time goes by. I understand. Time goes by, and then you go, you you for you forget the pain or something. I went I went back. I had to go get something very large touched up uh, a couple months after I got it. I don't know how long you told me. Come back in two or three weeks. Right. And so and and in the middle of the of the actual the the first run. Like I was, my brain, like my my soul floated out of my body. Like I remember leaving my body because I was just my brain blanked out from the pain. Um, and then, but you know, I mean, I got through it. And then I and I was, and a couple weeks later, I was like, oh, I gotta go get this thing touched up. Whatever, I'll do it after work. And so I went by myself, no yeah. one to hold my hand. And I got I got down on the table, and I was like, why did I forget this already? <laughs> but then, of course, you know, that's been like three years, and now I'm like, what am I going to do next? Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely return to that thing that I know is painful, yeah. It's insanity, but what are you going to do? <laughs> um, okay. What do you think is the scariest movie of all time? It's pretty subjective, but... Scariest movie of all time? For um, you? Oh, wow, um... Uh, uh, I, I can tell you what I thought it was when I was a kid. Uh, when I was maybe 
12 or 13, uh, Pet Cemetery was oh. the scariest thing in the world. Zelda? It's fucking Zelda coming down that goddamn hallway. <laughs> Still, like, like occasionally, like, okay, I'll go on, like, Reddit, and people will be posting in the horror section there about, you know, what's your most disturbing horror moment? And the second somebody links to anything Pet Cemetery related, I don't even click it because I'm like, if it's goddamn Zelda coming down the hallway, I'm going to have nightmares I, I again. I can't do it. So when I, when I was a kid, that was definitely it. And I, I, th- I think the reason that I, it still resonates for me today is just because it's, it's the idea that uh, something that you think you want is actually bad for you. Like, like, pe- like people, every, everybody's scared to die. Most, most people you know, would prefer to just you know, live on with their loved ones or have some way to avoid death. And this is a scenario where, yeah, you get to avoid death, but like, what's coming for you is worse than death. Yeah, yeah, sometimes dead is better, yeah, as they, they say. Yeah, as, as the tagline goes. Did you yeah. see the Black Mirror episode where the where the woman had... Be right back? Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, that's, it's that thing where it's like, you know, we if you could have a computer simulate your loved one and text you all the time and like, and then there they are, like what is, it just feels fundamentally wrong. Right, right, ex- ex- exactly, like it, uh, it, I mean, to to answer your question for for uh, what what I think is scariest now, take take your pick of basically any Black Mirror episode. Uh, take take Be Right Back, take uh, White Bear. Oh. Uh, just just the the uh, the idea of like the just the, the fathomless cruelty that people can have for each other, and that is what that show explores. And that's you know that's really what <laughs> what scares me. I love that show so much. It's yeah. so it's so fucked up, and, but and it's so good. New season comes out tomorrow. Oh my god! You just made my day. Favorite subgenre. Favorite subgenre. <laughs> um, oh, that is a good one. Favorite subgenre. I, um, you know, actually, this 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 would make total sense. I I am a sucker for a good creature feature. Like uh, I I love the the imagination that goes into creating uh, some really unique monster like uh, I, I cannot tell you how excited I, I got when I first saw the poster for Slither I was like wait a minute it's like weird slug dicks with teeth like yeah. coming after me like yeah I'm seeing that <laughs> yes <laughs> like like just just the like the, the level of invention that, that goes into creating stuff like that like you know be it the alien or the thing or the, the slug things in Slither uh, there's it, that still tickles the same part of my brain that got tickled when I was nine years old walking around the, the, the video store. Yeah, and I think some of that may be why we're seeing a resurgence of, of, of practical effects and creature stuff is because people like us, we grew up on like the gate and like movies where there were like weird stop motion creatures and, and crazy effects and you know, we, we, we nothing simulates that. Digital yeah. blood doesn't do it and you wanna see something that's right there and that's real. And maybe I don't know. Maybe that's part of no. That that, that, that I think that's that's completely accurate. Um, I mean, like w- something that's sort of on my horror bucket list is I would really love to see the actual model of the alien queen from Aliens because apparently the the thing is just a sight to behold. It's like uh, it's I think it's like twelve feet tall. It took eighteen people to operate it. Uh, they had, you know covered it in lube just to kind of give it the the freaky drippy look and. Yeah. 
uh, when I, I saw the movie recently on the big screen, I felt like I could reach out and, and touch that thing. And Did you do Horror Nights at all in the last couple of years, Halloween Horror Nights? Oh, up at, at, at Universal? Yeah. Uh, a couple years ago I did, yeah. They did Alien vs. Predator a couple oh. of years in a row. They did a maze that was so incredible. And um, uh, one of my best friends, Daniel, he is such a huge Alien Aliens fan. It's like his favorite. And uh, we went through, and there's a big, it's not the one, but it, there's a big mother alien. And like he was, we, I mean, I think both of us almost cried. It was so cool to see <laughs> this giant, you know, we were just like, oh, mother, you know, and she's just moving. You know, there are people behind the wall. Like, oh, of course, yeah, yeah. Oh, it, it, there is something about that. Right, it's something, something about how tactile it is. Yeah. Yeah, I miss that. Favorite sequel? Favorite sequel? Um, you know, I uh, I really love uh, uh, Dream Warriors, the 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 Darabont Batman uh, on the Street. Like that that one really feels like they just put the pedal to the metal and and did it like everything you can do with that concept, which is basically limitless. Yeah. Uh, like I, I really, I really feel like they did a beautiful job with that one. It's so fantastical that one. Right, right. Like I, I like they 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 leaned into the idea that this could be more than just a, a slasher movie. Um, I, uh, it, it's a, that's probably your favorite sequel, favorite favorite remake? Sure. Piranha. Like okay. the, the, the new Piranha, like the, the Alexandre uh, Asia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that one, uh, <laughs> there. I don't think I had more fun on a Friday night that the year that I came out than when I just gathered a bunch of friends and like snuck a 40 into the theater and uh, just had a blast with this disgusting movie. <laughs> yes. I love it. Uh, favorite franchise? Franchise. Uh, actually, I think I'm, I'm going to have to go with Nightmare on the Street with this one. Uh, like, I, uh, you know, there's, there's ones I love, there's ones that I thought were a waste of time, but uh, it, I have a certain place in my heart for that character. It's pretty kooky, that whole franchise. Are you uh, a New Nightmare fan? New Nightmare is, like, I, I'm, I love that it exists because without New Nightmare, there's no scream. Like, totally. It, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's Wes Craven kind of Credit where credit's due. For the first time. And, you know, is it particularly scary? Not really, but it feels like nothing else in that franchise. So, like, I, I, I got I to gotta give it credit for that. I find it so exciting for some reason. I watched it, I, I was, I think, what, it came out in 94. I was, I was 10. Yeah. It was, it just hit me at such a good time. And I loved how smart it was, and I loved how modern it felt um, at the time. And I, lo- I love the new Freddy makeup. It's so like deep and cragged, and like right, yeah. I don't, and I love Wes Craven's terrible acting and Sarah <laughs> Richer and the, all the and Bob Shea. The you know the producers are like playing themselves. It's it's so right. silly and it's, fun. It's, it's it's almost like a it's almost like a family movie, like a home movie. He just got you know he got the band back together <laughs> and and you know played this one more time. Yeah. Uh, favorite director. My favorite director. Um, the uh, I, th- I think this might be a two category one. The um, my favorite old school guy is totally John Carpenter. Um, I can I can just I can watch his stuff all day long, and he's kind of a renaissance man. Like he can do anything. He can do any genre you, you put in front of him. But he's he's just incredible with with a, with a horror movie and. Even his non-horror stuff has the, that same tension as, as a good horror movie. Sure. Yeah, Alec and I just watched Assault on Precinct 13. Right, which, I mean, like, you know, you, 
uh, if you put, uh, you know, if, if you were to amp up the uh, the horror aspects of that, that's, that's basically that's basically a horror movie that happens to take place at a police station. Yeah, um, definitely. In, in terms of uh, in terms of more modern guys, like um, that is that's that's a good question. Let me uh, the uh, I can tell you the person I was uh, who had the most interesting debut to me it was the uh, it was the guy who made Inside. It was, it was oh, the, the the two uh, French guys. They're a team. That, yes. Because uh, I, I like I've been warned about Inside. Like a friend of mine saw it at, at Scream Fest, and he's like, "Dude, this movie made me feel like I'd been aborted." <laughs> I was like, "Okay, four stars. I'm going to see that." Like, <laughs> On board. Yeah, I say no more. I'm I'm so in. You're that <laughs> okay? I'm learning about you now. I'm saying yeah. okay. I'm like if you if you're if you're being asked to push your limits, you're there. Yeah, yeah. I like I, I you know. <laughs> I'm I'm the guy who actually you know spent the six dollars to rent like a Serbian film when it was being yeah, shown on the internet. Sure. Then I was like, why did I do that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's it's the same reason that I, I like really spicy Thai food. It's I, I like to I like to see where that that limit is because I you know I know once I fall over like it's then there, it feels like there's no point. But up until I up until I get to that point, <laughs> then then it's still interesting. Have you heard about Raw? It's at Beyond Fest right now. Everyone's talking about it. It's, um, I guess it's, um, people have been fainting watching it, but it's about a girl, a young girl. I think she's in college. She's a vegan, vegetarian or vegan, and she, uh, as part of like a sorority initiation, she has to eat like a a liver, like a raw liver or something. She's like, ew. But then she starts craving flesh, and it's like supposed to be like a coming of age thing, but apparently it is brutal, and people are like, she becomes a, she becomes cannibal. Um, yeah. and people are like losing their minds. I okay, that's that's all the recommendation we need. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. Uh, okay, we're almost we're almost done with these. Favorite bad guy? Is it Freddy? Freddy is he's 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 up there although he he was never scarier than in the first one because he he was still they they hadn't amped up the the the, the comedy of him to that point. Um I think um, I think yeah. I, I would I would have to say Freddy. Cool. Uh, is there a hardest kill for you to watch in a horror movie? So that may, maybe this is hard to find for you. For me, one of the hardest, one of the ones I almost always have to look away is in Dream Warriors. It's funny you brought that up. Yeah. It's the marionette thing with yeah. this, with the tendons and. I just I I know it's fake. Um, it's, it's it's silly even, but for me, for some reason, it is just like I I just go oh yep seen it seen it enough times can't don't want to look at it again. <laughs> My uh, the 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 hardest kill for me to to watch, and which is funny because I when I when I the first time I saw it I, I rewound it to try to figure out how they did the effect, is um, the fire extinguisher in Irreversible. I haven't seen that yet, but I've uh, partly because I keep hearing it's tough to watch. It is a yeah, it is a rough, rough set. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the fire extinguisher. Scene, just you saying that makes me go like, what are they doing with a fire extinguisher? Uh, well, did you see? I saw the devil. No, they did sort of a riff on on that in in, in that one. Um, but uh, it's a uh, it's it's a dude getting his head smashed in with a fire extinguisher in one continuous shot, and you're watching this guy's. Face collapse, oh. and watching his ex- his expression change, and uh, it it's like 
it uh, it reminds you of just how um, vulnerable the human body is, and it's just beyond disturbing. Wow. <laughs> like the, the 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 sound effects are like they'll get stuck in your dreams. Uh, wow. I, yeah, and I have a hard time. Like I said, you know, so there are some extreme movies I've stumbled upon. Like I accidentally bought because it was ten dollars at. Um, <laughs> At Best Buy, um, Martyrs, and I didn't know what I was oh, in for, God. and then I, you know, watched that, and I could, I, I, I couldn't go back to it. So I I've d- no, I've, I'm yeah. like never to see that again. But I mean, I enjoyed it, I really did. But um, I stumbled upon those kind of things. For me, the thing that I seek out and I can't stop looking at are like actual crime scene photos. I'm not into it per se. But there's something about that, um, like you said, you really get the full sense of the fragility of the human body. And like, I don't, recently I somehow went down a rabbit hole and looked at the crime scene photos from the Manson LaBianca murders. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you know, it gives, in some ways, it's like that those murders are so mythic and, you know, people, everyone knows about them, but it humanized it for me in a big way, seeing those photos, seeing the stab wounds, seeing war carved in, like the guy's chest yeah you know and I, I was like in some ways I, I'm not saying it should be mandatory viewing but I think sometimes people forget with with things that are that famous or just murder in general you, they, you talk about it and we we all watch horror movies but then you know with that I was just like oh my god these were these were people yeah, absolutely like if this is your reaction now you know in, in the age of the internet and, and you being a horror buff can you imagine what the reaction was like for people in the 60s who uh, you know, didn't really like you know you you had images from the Vietnam War, but uh, that kind of carnage wasn't like really in the popular consciousness yet. So right. like, if it was that shocking to you today, then I, I can only imagine what it was like uh, back in, in in that decade. No kidding. If you could live in any town in a horror movie, what town would it be? <laughs> that's, that's a fantastic question. Um, I would uh, I would want to um. This this might be cheating because it's not exactly a town, but it definitely is a location. I would love to work inside the giant uh, facility from Cabin in the Woods, <laughs> like be, and having access to all those different creatures and you know getting to. You know, because like the, the movie's about horror filmmaking. Like, like you know, those those guys in the booth that are you can look at them as directors. You can look at them as an audience, depending on on your point of view. Uh, and this this is not me saying that I want to sadistically feed a bunch of innocent teenagers to monsters. Uh, but part of the reason why I love that movie so much is because uh, there just seems to be endless possibilities in there. It, it's like this huge sandbox you can play in. Like yeah. I, 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 I like. I wish they like that the movie ended differently so there could be sequels. Like yeah, yeah. so you could see all the creatures. We, uh, I've seen people have gone on the internet and taken like the the shots where they've pulled back. Yeah, and where you like, see like the whole documented board. every single you know one that they see. What would you be betting on? Would a oh, zombie redneck you? torture family? Is it um, <laughs> you know the weird pinhead guy? Uh, you know there was. Um, I would probably I'd probably be betting on something. Uh, more in the kind of like J horror supernatural realm, just because they don't seem to play by any rules. Sure. I mean, like, like part of the reason why the Ring was so effective when when that when that got remade for Americans was in American ghost stories, the ghost wants something and wants uh, to uh, you to help it uh, avenge some kind of injustice. 
Whereas in the ring, the ghost just wants to hurt you. Yes. Uh, there, was, there was that great moment at the end when the kid's like, you helped her? You weren't supposed to do that. And every everyone in the audience, when that first movie came oh, out, God. they were like, oh, shit. Your stomach just drops. Yeah. And you're like, oh, what's going to happen now? Right, right, exactly. So like, like you know, that moment where you realize, oh, wait, these are ghosts that don't play by the rules that we've been accustomed to in, in our, our movies growing up. Yeah, that was... There was such a stomach drop moment. So yeah, for if if I was if I had control of the uh, the control room in Cabin in the Woods, I would probably bust out one of those things and see what I can do. Have you heard about this? Like, um, oh god, I can't. The, it's it's a it's a it's a J horror film. They're they're pitting the two girls, the girl from the Grudge oh, and, and the girl the from the Ring, ring. against each other. It's I think that's a Beyond Fest now too. <laughs> it's called I forget their names, but it's her versus her, and they do they bring the mythologies together and they battle. <laughs> I've, I've heard it's good though. <laughs> it's it's kind like of exciting. Spooky chicks with like you know the hair in their faces stalking each other. Yeah. Oh my god. I mean, what more do you actually need? Yeah. Um, okay, so we've kind of touched on this already, and maybe this can just be a part of the conversation for the rest of our talk. But um, what do you, what is, what is horror genre sci-fi? What does all of this do for you? What do you get out of it? Uh, I just dream uh, exercising your demons. You mean in in terms of me as as a as a viewer, or in terms of me as a creator? You as you know, we can get into both. I think first, let's touch on uh, you as a as a consumer, as someone who's a fan okay. of that stuff, and then we'll get. Uh, then we're going to launch into your career, and I want to talk about. I want to talk about what the writing and everything and, and all of that does for you as well. Cool. Um, so as as a viewer, it, it does it does a couple things for me. Um, like I was saying a, a minute ago, like it uh, it lets me lets me know where my limits are. Uh, it gives me a sense of, it gives me a sense of catharsis. Um, like I, I remember, I remember uh, when that Eli Roth movie Hostel came out. Like back, God, that was like ten years ago. Yeah, I maybe remember, more at this point. Yeah, Ugh. yeah. Well, Doesn't I'm, seem like it. Uh, I remember seeing the trailer for that and realizing, like, oh, it's a movie about a place where you go to pay to torch people for fun. Holy shit, who's gonna who's gonna go see that? And then. As it got closer, I'm like, you know, what? I'm gonna go see that. So, <laughs> and I had this weird realization when I was watching it, uh, as it got into the third act, when you're uh, watching the main character try to escape, and it, it suddenly occurred to me that I was like, oh wait, this uh, I, I didn't show up here to watch terrible things happen in the human body. Like, you know, that's, there's obviously a curiosity element to that, but. The thing that I'm here for is to watch the person try to get away, and by the end of it, when this, when you know his escape is actually starting to become successful, and you see him triumphing, and the entire audience is hooting and hollering, I was realizing that we we'd all paid money for that ticket because we wanted that catharsis. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that's that's definitely part of it, and uh, I, I think the. Uh, I think the the other part of it is that it, it gives me some tools to deal with real life scariness. Um, that uh, when when I watch, uh, you know, when when you uh, when when you watch a movie with like a like a final girl and you see her outsmart this uh, some malevolent unstoppable force. It, uh, it it it's it it kind of it allows me to think about that when I you know 
see terrible shit happening in the news. It's it's a reminder that that uh, yeah, there is absolutely evil, terrible shit out there, but sometimes the the final girl wins. Absolutely, I could not agree more. I mean, it's it probably sounds silly and insane to people who aren't horror fans, but for me, I, there are time there have been times in my life that I've had some really crazy, sh- like awful shit happen in the last y- year and a half, where. You know, there, there's no escaping the stuff that happens in your life. You have to walk through it. But the but when you see a zombie redneck torture family, or you know, you're watching something truly brutal. Um, and I never used to get this. I never um, I never wanted to push myself, and I still don't as much as probably you. But for me, I've come a long way, and I've surprised myself by by in retrospect finding pleasure in going like wow I wanted to get up and walk out of that theater because I was very uncomfortable and I thought I was gonna barf or pass out but I I I, I am different I've like been forged in the fire of this <laughs> fucking weird movie that I just watched and it, I haven't slept all night because I've been thinking about it and um what do, you know like and and I found I didn't think I'd find value in that but I, I've started to so Oh yeah, that, that's that's to- that's totally accurate, and especially when you're when you're doing that in, in a group setting, like you know, nothing bonds people like going through something scary together. And so yes. when, when you walk out of the theater, you're like, "Well, all right, we're okay." Yeah, that was that was some wild shit. Yes, some of the most fun, like cathartic stuff for me in the last couple of years, I've pushed myself because a friend of mine is a creative director of Creep LA, which is one of these immersive kind of um, haunts. Okay. And I can't recommend it enough. Creep I have, LA? yeah, it's Creep LA, Creep Los Angeles. Um, it's their second year, and they've they've been getting a lot of attention. It's incredibly great. Um, but it you go in groups of eight, and this one is one of the ones that they can touch you, but it's not like blackout or heretic or any of those crazy ones. It's it's more they're telling more of a story. But the unpredictability of like what are you what, what's going to happen around this next corner, and the people you're with, and like occasionally one person will get like taken off and locked in a closet and then you find them one room later and they, they, they come out of the closet and you're like, dude, what the fuck happened to you in there? And he's like, shut up, I don't know. And then, you know, and that you feel like, but at the end of it, you're debriefing and then if you go through it again, they've, they've created such a cool experience. You go through again and different stuff happens and there are new discoveries and I'm, I'm sort of dipping a toe into that immersive world and I I love that. I love that talking to people after and going, what what just happened? Right, yeah, that that shared experience. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to give that one a shot because the, like, Blackout and Heretic, the, just reading about them freaks me the hell out. Same. Uh, and any, anything where, like, I have, like, you know, claustrophobia shit getting mm-hmm, thrown at me, mm-hmm. like, is not my style, but that sounds that sounds fun. This one is beautiful and really cool. I think you'd appreciate it. It's they have a story this year that is about this this artist from the seventies named Erebus Berwick who did this performance and then disappeared. And the people who were there that night, um, some of them are still following him today. They've found the tapes from that evening and they want to play them for you. And then you maybe you hear them. I won't say, but and then maybe maybe you enter kind of some kind of crazy world that kind of embodies his weird trippy art. Um, and the characters in it are really cool. It's it's very it's um it's very loosely it's not really a linear story, but it's um but it's it's the kind of thing where it's I always tell people it's really cinematic. So you walk away with these images in your head of the stuff that you saw and it's um it, it's the closest thing to feeling like you're you're in a horror movie, not a torture movie where someone's like waterboarding you like they do in yeah. Blackout. Um, more power to the people who get pleasure from that. I totally, I, I get it on a smaller scale. Not for me. 
But um, but you know, it pushes you in ways where you're just like, I'm a little uncomfortable, but this is fun. Right. This so it's, it's that with with an element of, of spectacle to it. Totally. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. So I want to talk to you about uh, Splinter and about your writing career. You are a professional writer; like you write all the time. Yeah, you've, yeah. you've, you've. It, I know it didn't come easy for you. I've done a little stalking. Okay. But um, obviously, everyone takes their licks, and you work really hard, and you you fake it till you make it. Um, but you've established a, a space in your life where you you get paid to do this all the time. You're living the dream. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's something that I've wanted to do since I was uh, twelve. Um, I uh, when I was you know when I was twelve years old, uh, my parents went on a date and left me alone with a satellite dish, and uh, I found uh, True Romance on TV, <laughs> and I was watching this, and it was the first time that it ever occurred to me that somebody had fun writing the words that I was listening to. I was listening to this dialogue and watching these colorful characters interact with each other. And I was like, somebody had a blast creating this. And so that year I, I wrote my first script and it was god awful and I hope nobody ever sees it until I'm dead. But uh, <laughs> wrote another one the next year, another one after that. And uh, eventually uh, wrote enough that by the time I was 18 or 19, I, I'd written one that people could read all in one sitting. And that to me meant that I had written something great that I could maybe go sell. Um, but I, I was still, uh, I was living in Utah at the time, and I just graduated high school, didn't have an agent, didn't have a manager, didn't have a lawyer, uh, but I was determined to try to break into the, the industry and start my career. So, uh, did you, did Oh, I, I know where this is okay. going. I, uh, I, I read this about you, and I love it, okay. and I want you to tell it, though. Okay, all right. Uh, so... I, uh, I decided that I was going to create this, uh, this fake management company out of my bedroom uh, called Sundance Literary Management. It sounds legit. Right. I mean, like, I, I couldn't hide the fact that I was based out of Park City. So uh, this is in the early days of the Internet. Like, I think that's part of the reason I was able to get away yeah, with it. Yeah, you did this at the right time. Yeah. So uh, I created this fake company and this alias named David Lortz. Uh, and I was calling different production companies just using the, the Hollywood Creative Directory, that old like phone book of producers' <laughs> numbers. And so I'd, I'd call up a producer and I'd say, like, oh, hi, this is David Lortz. I'm with Sundance Literary in Park City. Uh, I've got a client that I'd love to introduce you to. Uh, I think his sample would really be up your alley. And then I would send the script off to them. And sooner or later, people started saying, yeah, we, we want to meet with your, your client. And I'd be like, oh, well, Ian's going to fly out next week. So... I would go and take these meetings and just pray that they didn't recognize my voice. But the uh, <laughs> where this ended up was uh, went on one meeting with, with a with a producer who uh, seemed really interested in, in actually buying or optioning the script. I was like, all right, let's just let's just you know keep keep the voice disguised. We like you know if he if he figures out what's going on, then I blow this. So I get in the room with them and I discovered that all my fears were for nothing because. He barely looked at me the entire time. He just read off his notes and stared out the window. And I realized, like, ten minutes in the meeting that this guy just did not give a shit about me. But he was a really big fan of David's. He's like, I, I think you've got a really talented <laughs> player on your team back at home. And even if you wind up living out here in L.A., you should still keep David on as your manager. <laughs> I was like, just don't ever ask us to be seen in the same room. So Wow. Uh, he uh, he winds up putting a, a $1 option on, on, on the script, which... Basically, he rents the rights to the script for a year for $1. It's because it's illegal to do it for free. 
Um, but to me, at age 19, I was like, oh my god, that's actual cash money like being exchanged for my script. That's one dollar I didn't have before. This is great. So I wonder if I can use this deal to get myself an actual representative. Like I can fire David and get a real agent or something. So I have David start calling agencies. And through some like phone kung fu, I wind up on the line with uh, one of Spike Lee's agents at William Morris, and I'm, I'm giving him the whole spiel about Sundance Literary Management, and he stops me. He's like, oh, wait a minute. I've been telling you guys at Sundance to just do this for years. Just start your own management shingle, get writers out of your summer labs, get them working. Okay, here's what I want. Anybody who doesn't have LA representation right now, overnight me their script. <laughs> uh, just like anybody who doesn't have an agent, like just here's my FedEx number. You can put it on my bill. Overnight this to me. So I'm like, shit, I gotta get more clients. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I start calling my high school friends. Like, hey, you you wrote a script last year, right? Okay, good. Give it to me. So I get this stack of terrible screenplays written by teenagers, and my terrible screenplay on top of that. Overnight it to this guy. This is on a Friday. Monday rolls around, and. I'm getting up to go ride my bike to community college when my phone rings, and it's it's a it's a Utah number, so I don't answer it as David, but they say is, is David Lortz there? So I'm like speaking, and they say, "Hi, David. This is the Sundance Institute. Oh, jeez. Uh, apparently, you've been fraudulently impersonating our company." So I'm like, "Click." So I, I hang <laughs> up on them and like just turn the phone off, and I ride my bike to class and just sit there and sweat oh, all day long. Oh God. When I come out at the end of the day, there's like four messages from them that I just delete without listening to. Yes. Come home and there's a, a cease and desist letter from their lawyers threatening to sue me slash David if I don't stop. So I decided I was yeah. just you know going to retire from the cool guys. Game. Yeah. Done. Yeah. I'm like I, I don't I don't need that kind of drama. So I decided okay no no more uh, no more Sundance literary for me. I'm just going to try to get my career going the normal way. Um, so I came out to L. A. Well. Went to USC, went through the, the writing program there, started uh, selling scripts and getting movies made just through normal channels. And by the time my career actually got going, I would sometimes go on meetings with people that David talked to back in the day. And I'd be like, you don't know me, but we have spoken before. Did they like your story? Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. It's <laughs> so charming. You know what it reminds me of? Uh, Steven Spielberg's story oh, yeah. about yeah, how he just, jumped off the Universal tram, just found went, an empty office, yeah. and just picked up a phone and started pretending like he worked there. And that's the kind of thing that, like, you can't get away with today. Your, your ass is going to get arrested for hopping off that tram and running into, a, you know, a bungalow. Uh, and then, you know, the time that you were playing around, yeah, you got, you know, a little... But you you took off with it for a while. It was working. You were... you were. I was... Yeah, I got my first meetings People that way. believe but, you when you believe in yourself. <laughs> See, that's the moral you should take away from this. Yes. That's right. Um, so, go on. Okay, okay. So, um, basically, once, uh, once I was out uh, going to school in L.A., um, I, uh, I actually wrote Splinter when I was in college. Um, I, I was a junior and was living across the street from this gas station down on like Hoover and 33rd that had this really bright light that no matter what kind of blinds I put up, it would, it would always shine into my window at night. I wasn't getting any sleep and starting to have weird like sort of daydreams and uh, I would find myself wandering around the inside of that gas station and looking at all that thick bulletproof glass and the night drawer and all all the environs in there and thinking like, okay, 
there's you know there's some some bad dudes in this neighborhood. This is you know it's not a super safe space. And if I had to hide out in this gas station, like what would my survival tactics be? And then I started thinking like, okay, well, what if it wasn't a bad dude outside, but a bad thing? Um, so I started playing around with that idea. And at the time, I, I was taking a um, uh, a nonlinear writing class, or so it was a experimental screenwriting. And the whole idea was you had to tell a story that was either you know out of order or backwards or that somehow played with the format. So I decided to do a, a, a horror movie that took place in one location in real time. Uh, so the, the original draft of Splinter happened over the course of 90 minutes all basically inside that gas station. Mm-hmm. Uh, only thing is it was just a total gimmick because there was no reason for the movie to take place in real time except for me to get my grade. Yeah. Uh, so, wrote wrote it for that class and stuck it in a drawer. Do you like exercises like that? By the way, do you find that that helps you as a writer to be given totally. some kind of weird like? Challenge. Okay, you have to operate in, in within these strictures. Do you learn things as you're writing or come up with stuff that you go like because you have those limits? Oh, a hundred percent. Like, uh, you know, it, it, it's uh, it's something that you know is is has actually really informed what we do on, on this TV show because you know we've got a certain amount of money and a certain amount of time to make each episode and those are just creative limits you put on yourself and they force you to be more creative. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm glad that I took that class. Do you want to say well you don't have to. Oh, uh say the show? Yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, just so I, people know. Uh, I'm what writing you're working on now. for uh training day on CBS. Uh it's adaptation of the Kabulu Denzel Washington that comes out Sometime in the spring. That's right. Yeah, with Bill Paxton. Speaking yeah. of aliens, <laughs> <laughs> he's By the way, so great. Quick, quick uh, side note about that. Um, yeah, so Bill Paxton's the star of our show, and um, when he first came in to meet with the writers, one of the producers came in the room before him and said, "Like, okay, Bill's going to sit down with you guys. Does anybody have any questions in advance?" I'm like. What is his favorite quote from aliens to have yelled at him? And they're like, please don't do that. <laughs> please don't do that. And so then they, they, they walk out. That's all anyone and, yeah. does to him. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, fine, I won't do that. And about five minutes later, Bill comes in the room, and the first thing he does is just go, drop your cocks and grab your socks. I'm like, yes, yes, I love you. <laughs> That's incredible. Why is he the coolest on and off screen? Yeah, like, like you know, People will see him on set when they're driving by and yell out like, "Yo, aliens!" and he'll just yell like, "Game over, man!" Really? Yeah, he'll he, oh. he like he he loves that shit. Bless his heart. Yeah, because uh, it would be really understandable if yeah. he were like, "Guys, that's enough." <laughs> yeah, it's been thirty years. Right. <laughs> Let me have some fucking peace. But he recognizes that it's just it holds such a place in people's hearts. Yeah, pe- people people adore that movie. They adore that character, and most actors would be lucky to have somebody that iconic in their uh, in their holster. Totally. Um, so how oh. did then after after you so this was a creative exercise for for class, for class yeah um, so you know wrote, wrote this uh, wrote this this script and um, put it in a drawer after that semester and went on to my next thing but I met some um, some kids from the uh, the producing program at my, at my school who were looking for uh, a horror movie they could produce for like a million to two million. And the, the, the quote that I got from them that I, I will never forget was, like, the only <laughs> guarantees in life are, are death, taxes, and producers who want to make cheap horror movies. <laughs> uh, so I dug the script out of the, the drawer, gave it to them, and uh, did a couple rewrites on it. 
Um, and then their director dropped off and it seemed like the project had died, so I just kind of went on to new business. And then uh, about three weeks before I graduated, I get, I get this call from them, like I, I, a year's gone by, and they're like, hey, uh, we need you to sign some paperwork and we need your address because there's a check coming your way. Oh, we're, the, movie's, the movie's getting shot next week. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it turns out they'd you know, gone out and found this, this, uh, this director who, uh, I wish I could take credit for the monster and splinter, but the, the monster came from uh, Toby Wilkins, our, our director. And uh, raised a couple million bucks to uh, to go shoot this thing out in uh, this gas station in the middle of nowhere in Oklahoma. Yeah, um, I have to say, as much as I love the creature, and I and I do love good creatures, probably not as much as you, but I do, and it's it's incredible. Um, for me, the 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 thing that was so important to me about the movie is you care about the characters, which is so so essential and and really you want to care about the characters in any movie but especially a horror movie for it to work you have these have to be real people who who you care if they live or die oh absolutely i mean like uh, i uh, i remember one of the 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 like the main things that was in my head when i was sitting down to to write this was um i i want this to be people that you want to see survive yep. um and I, I, one one of the the challenges that I, I laid down for myself was like, okay, one of the things that horror movies are famous for is characters who make dumb decisions. Like they, you know, they run upstairs when they should be running outside. It's like, all right, well, what if uh, what if we make our main characters smart and try to make them make intelligent decisions and have them still get fucked over anyway as the movie goes on. Right. And if you're listening, sorry to interrupt you, but um, and you haven't seen Splinter, you should hop on Shudder and go watch Splinter. Um, but it is loosely, it's about a, a group of, a, a couple of people. You're going to do a better job at that <laughs> than I am. So why don't you give us the little the little log line? Okay, so uh, it's, uh, it's about uh, a couple on uh, on vacation who get kidnapped by an escaped con and his junkie girlfriend. Uh, they uh, go to a gas station where they wind up being besieged inside the place by this uh, this creature that isn't really like anything I've seen in, in, in horror movies. It's this, uh, this black spiky fungus um, that when it gets into your body, like if it pricks you with a, with a splinter, it starts slowly taking over your body inch by inch. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, yeah it's a parasite that uh, that essentially just wants to feed and feed, and it'll if it gets into your hand, it can turn your fingers weird directions and break bones and oh, snap tendons. I will have nightmares about it. <laughs> it is icky, I, icky I, shit. I, I was watching it in in the bedroom, and I know Alec heard me go, "Oh no!" <laughs> oh, oh, cover my mouth with my with my hands, and I'm like, I'm like, I like, okay, this is the thing. If I were just watching this for fun, I would look away, but I can't because I have to watch it. I have to see it. <laughs> Another satisfied customer. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, and it has this kind of the thing like quality wherein it will retain it's not that it that it becomes whatever it is it touches like the thing but it it retains some aspect of its of the host so you've got like some gross lurking hulking splinter mangle mess of like flesh where maybe the person's head is still kind of attached it's so right, disgusting yeah. yeah it is it is mad gross um, yeah <laughs> but uh and, and actually what was Really cool was that a lot of that was done practically. There was there was some uh, some VFX done on it, but a lot of it was uh, was just done with models. That's amazing. Uh, 
It uh, shows. You can you can definitely tell. And it was uh, that there was that that made me happy to to see that once once I saw the the cut of the movie. Did they at all? Where, where did they shoot? Oh, they um they built this little gas station uh, out in the middle of nowhere in in Oklahoma, um, and this is actually kind of a, uh, a funny little piece of serendipity. Uh, are you a Breaking Bad fan? Oh, hell yeah. Well, we almost killed um, Skinny Pete. <laughs> so uh, the, the, in, the, in the opening scene of Splinter, there's this gas station attendant played by Skinny Pete who is the first victim of the, the creature. Yeah. And uh, the, uh, the, the, the actor uh, the, the playing him, Charlie Baker, wanted to play Skinny Pete. This is one of his first big roles. And because he has such an incredible physicality to him, that, that skinniness, they uh, had him play not just the gas station attendant, but also the creature itself <gasps> once it gets bigger. What? He's, he's in that he's in Oh, that no, suit. you're about to tell me you almost killed the actor. Yeah. Holy so, shit. Uh, <laughs> what happened was uh, the gas station that they built didn't have air conditioning. And uh, apparently the producers needed to, like, go run an errand or something and they left the, this poor actor inside the suit apparently it takes hours to get the suit off oh. inside this gas station with no AC they come back 45 minutes later and he's like I'm kind of seeing stars right now they, they had to like cut him out of the suit <laughs> oh my god now, what's funny is the, the reason I know this is um, the episode of my TV show that we just shot I we had to cast this biker gang and I didn't recognize him at the time, but once I got on a set, I'm like, huh, that, the, the actor we cast for the gang leader looks familiar, and I realize it's the same guy from yeah. Splinter and Breaking Bad. Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, we, you, you made that movie. Dude, your crew almost murdered me. <laughs> oh, my God. You're like, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, my bad? <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. Um, so what did the process of, I mean, obviously it's very exciting to know that you're your work is going to be realized. What, what, was there anything sacrificed that you, as a as a writer in product, you know, once they got into production, that that hurt a little? Was it just awesome to have it happen? Did the characters were they what you wrote them as? Did did you feel like they you know retained the spirit of what you wrote? Oh, absolutely. Like uh, I, I think you know one of the, one of the biggest coups we had with this this movie was in, was in casting. Um, no kidding. We uh, like uh, there's there's a really wonderful character actor named Shea Wiggum who's on um, stand out for me. He's on Boardwalk Empire and a bunch of stuff, and he uh, plays the convict. Yeah, in the movie. yeah, he yeah. plays he plays the convict, and uh, I I I just can't take my eyes off this dude whenever he's on screen. He's just got this wonderful charisma to him. Um, so that, that that part was actually exceeding my expectations, just because that movie was made for two million bucks, and usually when you make a movie for that cheap, it's hard to attract. Uh, it's, you know, it's hard to attract great actors. Yeah, I've fought my way through a lot of as as most horror fans, I've fought my way through a lot of shitty things just to get to like maybe that one scene that's really cool, or you know, you just you watch a lot of crap. Um, uh, to find gems and a, a big pet peeve of mine in any type of movie being from the south is people who do like southern accents or like rednecks really poorly and they play <laughs> them as caricatures instead of um, you know if it's on purpose as a character that's one thing I'm not talking about Joe Dirt I'm talking about people who you know who are trying to be like that badass like um, and this guy Shea Wiggum is like it's it's nutty how good he is and, and also I have to say and this I guess is probably your writing but he there's a line where he says you suffer from a severe case of cds can't do shit <laughs> and that is so real to me as someone from the the 
depths of the South. Wait, where, where are you from? North Carolina. Oh, shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but like the southern part of North Carolina, so just just about South Carolina. And that that is, it's it's impossible for me to explain how real I find that that to be, and he delivered it so well. But it's it, that kind of like, that, that kind of, I'm going to name you an acronym, and then I'm going to tell you what it stands for. Uh, is so God. It just I was like I've got to write that down. He's and he does he does it so well. Yeah, I, I I could I could watch that dude all day long. He's so great. Uh, and and uh, I, uh, I I I remember you know seeing that for the uh, the, the the first time in, in theaters, and I had had uh, a couple I had you know a couple things made before this that uh, I wasn't used to seeing my dialogue done well. So that was that was a really miraculous experience. Absolutely. Uh, one one of the things that is um, also my favorite about I'm I'm a big I'm a uh, I'm a big fan of the bad guy makes good kind of um kind of a thing. Um, I I love redemption stories and I think part of that is is and I'm fascinated, you know, I took a whole class in college on the literature of the American South. I love oh, yeah? I love dark um, kind of like ugly backstory um, but people who kind of try to come past that and move beyond their circumstances um, and you know no matter what people's expectations are of them I love Sling Blade is like in my top three movies oh, of all time yeah, I yeah. just love I love Billy Bob um, and so this guy you know he's 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 a bad guy. He's you know he's got every he's there's a manhunt out for him and he he redeems himself. You know he's a he's got he's like the bad guy with a heart of gold kind of thing. Yeah, or at least or at least silver. Yeah, um, silver. Sure. Yeah, he's, he's still a bad guy. Right. Well, like like, like that that was uh, that was really in, in, intentional on the uh, uh, in in the screenplay. Like uh, you, you know how like the the good experiences you have uh, watching a horror movie in a theater can sometimes be matched by a really uncomfortable or bad experience you had sure. in a theater. Okay, I remember being, I don't know, maybe 13 and being a huge Tarantino fan and going to see From Dust Till Dawn in the <sighs> theater. Worship. But problem is, I took my dad and my sister and I didn't, I didn't even really know what I was getting into. I, I wasn't prepared for like how hard this movie was gonna go. Uh, yeah. and so we, we get in there and you know in the opening scene they're burning that poor dude alive and then there's like you know Tarantino raping that woman and then yeah. and then the goddamn vampires come out like halfway through and they start ripping apart bodies and so when when that they're when, playing when, them as instruments right right <laughs> so when that was all over and you know my, my poor sister's just like what did I just watch my dad's like I'm picking the fucking movie next time it <laughs> um, you know like it was kind of a, a traumatic experience for me you know subjecting my family to that but the movie really stuck in my head both because of its storytelling and because of that experience. And so coming into to Splinter, I was really attracted to the idea of, you know, criminal on the run, takes hostage, winds up having to be protector of hostage, uh, and ultimately, I, in mine, I took it a step further and had him sacrifice himself for the hostage. Sorry, spoiler alert. Whoops. <laughs> it's, it's still worth watching, even yeah. even if you get that spoiled. <laughs> spoiler alert for an uh, eight-year-old movie. Yeah. People do get kind of pissed off. Um, yes, and I really loved that. I'm, a, I'm such a sucker for that kind of thing. And, and it's funny. I never thought about how much that's one of the reasons I love From Dust Till Dawn. Most of the time, it's that... Um, 
Salma Hayek dance. Uh, that, yeah. You know, that, that's yeah. kind of, you know, that's the thing that hooks you. <laughs> but, uh, and I also love how that movie just completely switches genre. Like, they're just like, oh, yeah, fuck you. This is a vampire yeah, movie but, now. Yeah, by the way, guess what you paid for. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, that I mean, George Clooney just brings a, gra- a ridiculous gravity to that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, like I, I, I still remember... The way he delivers his last line in that movie, when when Juliet Lewis offers to go with him off to uh, she asks to, El Rey. to go with him. Yeah, after, I, I have yeah. a personal bone about that. I'm, I'm mad as a one. I'm as a girl. I'm like, take her with you. I know why he doesn't. Right, but like he's he, the last thing he says where is I I may be a bastard, but I'm not a fucking bastard. Oh. And and uh, you you realize that like uh, if this character has this sort of morality redemption arc that it would have he would have blown it if he had said yes totally that you know he, like he it, like in his mind he had already brought enough darkness into this girl's life yeah and you have to have an actor who can who you can believe is the bad guy and you can you, it's, it takes a lot of skill to really to do to do both of those things yeah I, I, I thought you know Tarantino did a beautiful job of casting himself as a creepy rapist so like you know, then then he's got. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. Did Did you want me to help you with that? What? <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. It's so I forget every time I go to watch that movie how uncomfortable his stuff is, and yeah. he you know, he makes no. Oh my god, I was ju- I was just completely unrelated, but come uh, back in August, my a couple of friends of mine and I went to El Coyote. This is this makes me sound like a total freak, but it's I promise you we did this with our like with our honor and like we, we, we honor these victims but we, we thought well it was the anniversary of the Manson murders sure. so on the night of the when they went to El Coyote which is where um, Sharon Tate and Jay Sebring and a, and a couple other people had dinner and then they went back to the house and then they got murdered after midnight the next day um, so we went to eat there and then we drove to the locations of the houses just to sort of like and because we'd all been we'd all listened to this 10 part um, podcast uh, series about the murders and about the pop culture surrounding it and Charles Manson and all that. So we were like, let's go eat at El Coyote and then we'll drive over to Cielo Drive and do the whatever. And we were at El Coyote and Quentin Tarantino was sitting there eating. I was on my way to the bathroom and I heard him before I saw him and yeah, I was yeah. like, ooh! And then I found out he was, I mean, it's right across the street from the new Bev. So I guess they yeah. were showing a Manson documentary from the 70s that night. Oh, and he nice. was eating there before going over. You see, if, if you told him what you were doing, I bet he would have been impressed with that. He probably would have been. He was he was being very Tarantino. He was at a table with a couple of ladies and I was like, I'm not going to. I'm not going to be that person. I, I have a hard time being that person. I've done it before. But um, I, I did it to Jamie Gertz. But, uh, really? oh, God. Wait, I'm curious. Who, who's, who's, like, your, your horror icon? Like, who, who would you geek out if you saw in a restaurant? Uh, I w- Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah? I would, my, the skin would come off of my body and just pool <laughs> around my feet. And I would just be like, yeah. Um, I love her. I love, but, you know, it's funny. My friends and I talk about this. There's a great documentary on the 35th anniversary DVD called, um, I think it's called The Night She Came Home or something. It documents Jamie Lee Curtis's first and only um, how, uh, convention appearance. So she only one time she went, she never, she doesn't do that. A lot of the other actors do. Like some of them travel around the circuits and sign pictures and Elvira, you know, they, they make appearances. She's never done it. She did it one time to raise money for CHLA, Children's Hospital, yeah, Los yeah. Angeles. And she, they made a documentary about it. 
and she is you get it's all Jamie Lee Curtis all the time and she's so she's a little arrogant she's kind of like she's kind of full of herself a but little, in a really little, a little above it yes in a really delightful way and she's not self-aware about that and so it's kind of charming and oh, I love how she yeah. it's great she's nice to everyone but she's very she she is aware of how important she is and I fucking love her for it. I, don't, I just love it she like I remember seeing her on Oprah a couple years ago and she was like I don't like color I wear black and Oprah's like okay you know I was like you can wear color if you want to I I but I worship her she's just my she's the I mean there are plenty of other people I'd be like um but uh, and and I, I get really cooled out when I see people, you know, that I would never bother. I saw, um, <laughs> I, I was at a hotel in Santa Monica, and I walked out. I went in to use the restroom. I come out, and Costas Mandalore, who is in the Saw movie, oh, right? Yeah, that guy, yeah. out front with his like wife and child, and you know, I'm looking. I, I like look over, and I hear like, dun, 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 dun. it like starts playing in my head, and I was like. He did it. He's the one. Yeah. And, I, and I was like, ah, oh, he's with his baby. I'm like, not going to yeah, do you that. You can't but run up and be so... like, yo, Junior Jigsaw. Like, Right? <laughs> but it's just so cool. Um, so are you working on anything horror-wise now? Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, I just came from a meeting for something we're starting to shoot next month. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's, a, it's a script that I wrote years ago that we've been trying to get off the ground forever uh it's a it's a horror comedy called office uprising oh. and it's uh it's basically like th- think of like uh think of office space beats dawn of the dead fun like it, it's, it's, except it's it's not exactly a zombie movie it's um so basic plot is it's a um it's this guy uh, working as an accountant for like a Halliburton type company, like a corporate weapons manufacturing firm, and uh, he's he's like the laziest employee in the de- in the Death Star. He um, he sneaks out of a motivational seminar one night to go home and get high and play Mario Kart with his friends. And when he comes into work the next morning, uh, he discovers that all of his coworkers are trying to kill him, and they're suddenly really fast and vicious and bloodthirsty, but their, their personalities are all intact. They've just been sort of, like, weaponized. Oh. And he's stuck in the building with uh, all of these, like, rage monsters and a bunch of, like, prototype weaponry, and things get, like, inconceivably grisly from there. Wow. Uh, I love that. I mean, this happens in Splinter, too, but I love the, um, I love when people are able to use the trappings around them. Like, sometimes when I, I do the same, it's so funny to hear you say that about this gas station, because I've done that before about other places I've been where you're looking around you, and you're like, well, how would I use that? Yeah, how would I make this a defensible position? Right. Like, you're, you're, we, uh, Marshall and I on Boys and Ghouls, we did an episode on uh, school movies. Like, uh, we called it Hack to School. And we talked about things like, of course, you know, when I, the time that I grew up, I was really into, even though not all of them are great, a lot of the mid to late 90s, early 2000s horror. Um, and I'm super into the faculty. I was about to say, you're going to bring up the faculty. I love the faculty. The faculty is amazing. Faculty oh, is, oh. is like incredibly subversive. It's like weirdly pro-drug. When people come yeah. at me about it, I'm always like, I will fight you. Because yeah. I love that movie. <laughs> but, you know, you think about like the, you know, the paper cutter and the thing. You look around, and you're like, what can I use? And shove a pencil in somebody's eye. Yeah, it, that, that's the that's exactly the, the the type of stuff that I got to come up with when we were writing uh, Office Uprising. Like, right. I was like, okay, what do you what do you have in a in an office that you could defend yourself with? Like, can you you know take uh, stacks of printer paper and duct tape and make armor out of it? Oh. Like, uh, okay, yeah. I'm meeting up with you if there's an apocalypse uh, <laughs> type scenario because you have all the ideas. Um, 
so do you do you have any uh, gosh i i'd love to hear any thoughts any advice you have for anybody who wants to write or director producer just kind of make a voice in this genre or just in the industry in general oh uh sure um the uh the first thing that um actually just to I, th- I think the, the the best piece of advice that I, I ever got um, when I was in school was um, when you get done with with a draft of something that you've written, you should feel a sense of nervousness about showing it to somebody because of how much it says about you. Um, like like you you, sh- you should feel a little bit scared to to hand this over because of what your script reveals. Um, and uh, I, I think that you know what what separates you know the good shit from the bad shit is when, when I read something and I, I can tell that that writer has you know left a, a part of themselves on on that page, even if you're writing something that's you know goofy or campy or you know bloody and exploitive or freaky or or, or whatever, if uh, there's that element of your own uh, your own obsession in there somewhere exposing uh, yourself a little bit yeah yeah basically my advice is expose yourselves uh, yeah. do so just expose yourself <laughs> yeah like, or, or like even if it's um uh it you know it, it could be something dark it could be something positive doesn't matter just as long as it's personal um so that's that's the that's the, the, the first thing i can say second thing honestly is um if uh if you have an idea for something that you can make for not a lot of money, just write the damn thing. Just <laughs> just sit down, crack open a final draft, and and get it on paper, and you know surround yourself with people whose instincts you trust, and and rewrite the hell out of it because you know, like I learned from Splinter, you know, the only guarantees are death taxes and producers who want to make cheap horror movies. <laughs> it's true. Um, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. Thank, thank you for having me. This is a pleasure. You're a treasure trove of information, and um, I, I want to hear more about the movies that you've seen that I'm never going to watch. <laughs> well, next time, absolutely. And, uh, hopefully we'll be doing this again after uh, we go make uh, this next one. Awesome. Thanks, Ian. Thank you. Isn't Ian just the best? I loved talking to him. You can follow Ian on Twitter at Ian Shore. That's I-A-N-S-H-O-R-R. We hope you enjoyed this bonus episode of Boys and Ghouls, and we hope you'll join us for the next Behind the Screams. Until then, and as always, beware the moon.